we go. Thank you, Elena. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, this time of worship <clears throat> that's leading us and pointing us to you and pointing us to your word. And uh, Lord, I ask this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight because you, O oh Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning. My name is Craig Johnson. I'm the pastor of Adult Disciple Making. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning and to be sharing the word with you. Welcome to those of us who are here with, in traditions or at the Kinder Campus or those of you who are worshiping online. As Carl already pointed out, we're in a series on what are you afraid of? And Pastor Andy began the series two weeks ago in speaking about fear. And today we'll be looking at the fear of disapproval or as scripture calls it, the fear of man. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And let me just read a quote from Ed Welch. There's an excellent book out there by Ed Welch called When People Are Big and God Is Small, Overcoming Peer Pressure, Codependency, and the Fear of Man. And I really recommend this book on this subject. And Welch says this, says, many of the people I've talked to also had an awakening when they saw the controlling power of other people. Although they are avowed worshipers of the true God below the surface, they feared other people. That's not to say they were terrified by or afraid of others. Fear in the biblical sense is a much broader word. It includes being afraid of someone, but it extends to holding someone in awe, being controlled or mastered by people, worshiping other people, putting your trust in people, or needing people. However you put it, the fear of man can be summarized in this way. We replace God with people. Instead of a biblically guided fear of the Lord, we fear others. And the more I look through the Bible, the more examples I see of this. And uh, the story of Saul, this event in Saul's life and in the life of the people of Israel, just one example of that from Scripture. And it's a, it's a sad story of what happened and how the kingdom was taken away from Saul. Uh, it speaks to his failure, but it also speaks to our own failure. And the way I want to look at it, and if you have your sermon outline there, you can look at it as well, is by answering three questions. The first question is, how did Saul fail? And we see this in the opening verses. And I think as you, as you heard this passage read, you were probably struck by, well, how can God be doing this? How can God be wiping out a whole nation? Because it kind of uh, rubs up against our sensibilities in, in the 21st century. But we need to think about it here, that, that God was calling Saul not just to prophet. He wasn't calling him to prophet at all. He was calling him to uh, punish sin. God has to punish sin. God is a holy God. And he cannot bear with sin. And we see it throughout Scripture. Uh, but at times, judgment pops into Scripture in places like this and in other places in the Bible. If you think about it in the New Testament, we see it pop in the New Testament as well. As the church is starting in Acts, uh, people are selling their possessions and giving it into the church. Ananias and Sapphira do this, but they lie about it. They say they're giving everything of the proceeds of what they sold, but they're not. They're lying and they're keeping some back and God judged them. So God sometimes judges us in time, but the point is all of us are going to be judged at one time when we stand before the throne of God. 
And, and death will be experienced. Either death is experienced by us for our sin and we're, we're sent to hell for it, or our death is experienced by Jesus for us. But all of us will receive that punishment in one day. This was an evil nation that God was judging here. And, and think about it. If you remember the story of Esther and the man named Haman who wanted to annihilate all the Jews in that land. Haman was a part of this nation. Haman was related to these people that God called Saul uh, to destroy, the Amalekites. So how did Saul fail? Saul disobeyed God's command. You saw that as the passage was read. He rejected God's leadership of himself. He spared the best of the animals. He spared the king. And Saul was intended to use by, by God to punish, but he rejected God's calling. It's not his first act of disobedience, but it was his ultimate act of disobedience. But really the bigger question is, and the one we'll focus on the most is, why did Saul fail? Why did Saul fail? Saul had a more important king that he followed, an idol that he bowed to, the fear of disapproval, or the fear of man. And you can see it throughout the passage. It's, it's sad because it's, it's humorous in some ways how he's done this and how he doesn't recognize that he manifested this fear in his life. First of all, if you look at verse 12, Saul set up a monument to himself. So after this battle, he wins the battle. Samuel's looking for him. And someone tells him, well, Saul's gone to this place, but he set up a monument first to himself. So he's saying, hey, look at me. Approve me. I'm worthy. Uh, look up to me. And it's funny because Saul did the exact opposite when he was proclaimed king. Back in 1 Samuel 10, they were going to crown him king, and so they're going through all the tribes, and they're going through the groups in the tribes, and then they finally come to the tribe of Benjamin, and they're looking for Saul, and they can't find him. Where is Saul? Saul is hiding behind the baggage. He's hiding from the fact that he doesn't want to be recognized as king. He's saying, hey, I need your approval to be accepted as king, and I'm afraid I won't get it, so I'm going to hide and protect myself. So his actions when he was proclaimed as king were just the opposite of setting up this idol, but it was the same thing, and we have the struggle as well, don't we? We have this love-hate relationship with recognition. Think about your life, uh, whether it's in school or maybe in job. Was there ever a time when you were up for an award or a promotion or something like that, and it was down to a few people? And you're thinking, hey, I don't want to get this. I don't want to be embarrassed in front of everybody. So then the winner's announced, and you don't win, and you're upset that you didn't win. And so I've had this happen before. First of all, I'm embarrassed to not win, and then I'm mad that I didn't win. It just doesn't make sense, but that's what the fear of disapproval does in us. It's, it's a universal struggle in all of us. Has the fear of disapproval ever called you, caused you to lie? Saul said here in verse 13, he said, I perform the command of the Lord. And it's, it's, it's so humorous. Samuel says to him, what's this bleeding of sheep I hear and lowing of cattle? He's saying, you obviously didn't obey the command because you were supposed to destroy all the animals, but I can hear them with my own ears. Can't you hear them, Saul? But he fudged, he lied, because he didn't want to look bad before the people. Another typical example, he passed the buck. He shifted the blame. 
He said, well, they, the soldiers did this. The people kept all the animals. Kind of saying, well, I didn't do it. They did it. I'm just following along with them. He was seeking the approval of Samuel. And that's, that's as old as Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve did the same thing. Well, Eve gave me the fruit. Well, the serpent gave me the fruit. And we passed the buck. We shipped the blame. He also tried to hide behind being religious. He said in verse 15, they brought these animals back to sacrifice to God. Isn't that such a good thing? So we've made up with disobeying you by trying to, to please you in a different way, God. And, and we sometimes do that ourselves, don't we? Well, I go to church, I go to Bible study, that must earn me something before God. But it's not the action that matters as much as the motive. And Samuel pointed this out. He said to obey is better than sacrifice. And finally, in, in verse 30, Saul even repented for approval. Have you ever caught your children once in a lie and they confess to it, not because they're sorry, but because they don't want to get in trouble? Or maybe you've done that yourself? That's what Saul was doing here. He's saying in verse 30, come with me and honor me before the elders before the leaders of the people. I still need their approval, even though I blew it. So please make me look good, Samuel, before the people who are in charge. So even at that point, he's, he's repenting for approval. Saul's admission of what he did is found right there in verse 24. He says, I did this because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. And it's not a rare, it's not an isolated sin. In fact, it was the sin of the whole nation. Back in 1 Samuel 8, the people were appealing for a king. Saul was the very first king of Israel. And the people wanted a king because they wanted to be like every other nation. And they're crying out to God and they're talking to Samuel, hey, give us a king. We want to be like everybody else. We want the approval of all the other nations. We want to be just like them so that we fit in. So it wasn't just Saul who was living this way. The whole nation was living this way. And it really is something that affects all of us. Think about these different ways that the fear of man or fear of disapproval affects us. How about peer pressure? Have you ever seen it happen this way? <clears throat> you're playing with someone else when you're your child, and then a third person comes over, and it sometimes happens, it's, it's two against one. Two of the people start picking on one person because the two people want to be respected by each other and the best way to do it is to make fun of someone else. That's just one example of peer pressure. Overcommitment. Do you ever do too many things to try to please other people, to try to impress other people in your work or in other places? The fear of being exposed as an imposter. Well, if people really see who I am, I'm going to be exposed. I'm going to be made look like a fool. Second-guessing decisions. Do you have trouble making decisions because you want to make the right decision so other people are impressed by your decision? Being easily embarrassed. Being Minnesota nice or North Dakota nice. Do you ever do something just to be nice to someone else because you don't want to do something else to make them unhappy with you? How about self-confidence by comparison? Do you feel like you've made it because you're doing better than other people? Or one last thing 
Welch points this out with just one word, evangelism. Have you ever been timid about sharing your faith because of how you thought other people would react? The fear of disapproval is, is, is devastating to us. It promises, but it doesn't deliver. The fear of disapproval says to us, if I get respect, if I get this vote of confidence from other people, then I'll be happy and content. But it doesn't deliver. It's powerless. It can't provide the approval we seek. Saul's fear of man made him powerless as king, and eventually he lost the whole kingdom because of his fear of the people. It really never satisfies. We'll always keep seeking it, and we'll never truly get it. We'll never truly be satisfied by us, by it. And it's dangerous. It saps us of all our power. It puts us in a worse position than we were before if we had obeyed. The fear of disapproval leads us on the road to death. So what this passage is saying is Saul failed and we failed because our Lord, our idol, the fear of disapproval, can never do for us what we think it can. So how do we escape a similar failure? Well, let me ask you this question. Why do you, why do I, why do we as people seek approval? Why do we look for approval? We look for approval because we're not good enough. That's the whole problem. We want to be, but we're not. We recognize this lack in our lives. Unconsciously, we realize it. We're not good enough for the ultimate approval, God's approval. So we seek it in lesser gods, and those never satisfy us. And the answer is right here. It's in verse 17. As as listening to a a sermon by Tim Keller, and he pointed us out, and it was exactly right. Look at verse 17. Samuel says to Saul, Though you are little in your own eyes, he's probably referring back to the time that Samuel hid himself behind the baggage when he was going to be proclaimed king. He says, Though you are little in your own eyes, Are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Think about what Samuel's saying to Saul. Saul wasn't put in this position because he earned approval from God. Saul was placed in this position by sovereign grace. He says, the Lord anointed you. The Lord chose you. The Lord put you in this position. And so you're already approved. Why do you need to seek approval from people? Really, this is, this is the gospel right here in 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. And the fear of man, the fear of disapproval is, is directly in line with living in line with the truth of the gospel. There's a story in the New Testament in the book of Galatians. Uh, Paul wrote Galatians and he, he talks about Peter. And Peter was hanging out with the Gentile believers, and that was new at that time for Gentiles to be believers, uh, because in Israel it was just for the Jews. So Peter uh, is hanging out with the Gentiles, but when Jews come around, Peter stops hanging out with the Gentiles, and he starts to hang out with the Jews. And he really denies the gospel by how he's acting. And Paul confronts him. Can you imagine Paul and Peter having a disagreement There's probably not two more uh, self-willed, strong people in Scripture than Paul and Peter. And Paul says to Peter, he says to him, you're not living in line with the truth of the gospel. 
See, the gospel causes us to walk this way, but when we fear people, we're walking the exact opposite way. We're not walking in line, we're not living out the truth of the gospel when we fear how other people will respond instead of fearing how God will respond. And we're not realizing how the gospel affects every area of our lives, including the fear of man. Saul rejected the grace of God. He rejected God's approval. Saul didn't recognize what God had already done for him. He rejected the obedience of faith for man's approval and the obedience of man, which caused everything to go wrong. And I look at this passage, and I was, as I was studying it and I was reading, I think, well, why did God choose Saul in the first place? If he knew Saul was going to do this, why did he choose him in the first place? Well, I think he chose them to give Israel what they deserved. They wanted a king to be just like all the other nations, so he gave them a king just like all the other nations to help them to realize it wasn't what they needed. And the, and the grace in this section is in the very next chapter, 1 Samuel 16, God calls Samuel to go and anoint King David. So in the very next chapter, God gives Israel what they didn't deserve, King David, a man after God's own heart. And King David points us to the greatest king we all don't deserve, and that's Jesus. So how do we escape a similar failure? We need a new king who's been approved for us, who gives us the approval we seek only by the grace of God. And I think the best way to explain it or understand it is use three words. Each of them begin with the letter A. The first word is acknowledge. I need to acknowledge that I have a problem. I'm motivated by the fear of disapproval. I've made approval my God and my king. I've rejected God and made my own God. Instead of going this way towards God, I'm going the exact opposite way, away from God. I've rejected God. I've made people who are good things into idols. I need them to fulfill me rather than loving them for God's sake. So I'm controlled by their opinions, which means I trust and hope in people instead of God. And so God humbles us in that way, just like he humbled Saul and he humbled the nation of Israel. He wants us to know ourselves, to examine the sin beneath our sin. Jesus says it this way, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and that's what Saul did, and that's what we often do, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So we need to say this to ourselves as we acknowledge our sin. We need to say to ourselves, I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe. Yes, I sin, but there's even a greater sin under this, this motivation of pleasing other people instead of pleasing God. But the second word, accept, says the exact opposite. Jesus is a far greater savior than I ever dared imagine. I mean, even sitting here realizing, I, I uh, filled a pulpit a couple weeks ago at a, at a local church whose pastor was out of town, and I'm sitting at home and I'm thinking, what should I wear? What's appropriate here? Do I need to wear a tie? Should I wear a sport coat? What should I wear? And I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, this is stupid. I'm giving myself an example of this passage right here. 
I'm fearing what I wear or what I don't wear will, will please or displease other people. But God has done that for me. Jesus is a far greater Savior than I ever dared imagine, and I can accept his approval of me. And I love how the Old Testament talks about it. In the Old Testament, God talks about why he chose Israel, and he's really saying why he chooses us as well. In Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8, it says this. It says, It was not because you were more numerous or more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it's because the Lord loves you. Now, do you get his logic there? It doesn't make sense. He didn't choose them because there were a lot of people. He loved them because he loved them. Do you see what he's saying here? He loves us because he loves us. There isn't anything in us that makes him want to love us. He loves us because he loves us. God doesn't love you because you're good enough. You're not good enough. Jesus is good enough for you. Someone said once, the essence of the Christian faith is that Jesus is good enough and I am in him. Boy, that relieves me of so much pressure that I put on myself to try to be good enough. Yes, I need to obey. Yes, we need to follow God. But we do that in the obedience of faith. We don't do that to earn God's recognition or approval. We do that because he's changed our hearts because we want to follow him, because we realize it's the best thing for us. Jesus liberates us from the fear of disapproval before God by being rejected for us. He took our disapproval upon himself, and literally he became a curse for us. He became despised and rejected by men for us so that you and I could be accepted by God. So now we don't need to fear disapproval because we've been accepted by God. And who else needs to accept us? If God accepts us, why do I need the acceptance of anyone else? Not that I want to go out and needlessly offend other people all the time, but that I'm living not to please people, but to please God. So thirdly, that leads us to the third word, act. So acknowledge, accept, and then act. We need to act differently. And the best place to start is growing in the fear of the Lord. Again, Proverbs 29, 25 says this, the fear of man lays a snare, lays a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So if the Bible, as it says here, the fear of man is a snare, is a trap, if it says that, It's because people are too big in my heart and mind. When people are big, God is not. But when God is big, people are not. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, summarized it so well. The end of the matter is here. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Fear, Welch describes as a reverent submission that leads to obedience. It's caring more about what God thinks than what other people think. It's knowing that God is great and God is good, so following him in the obedience of faith. Think about it this way. When I saw Yosemite Valley for the first time, when I looked up at Half Dome and El Capitan, everything else paled in comparison. It's the same with the fear of the Lord. When when you start to gaze on God, and know him for who he is, you grow in awe and reverence 
and humility and worship, when you see how great God is, people pale in comparison. And you're no longer afraid of what they think because you know how great God is and how good he is. And essentially, you become smaller and less important in your own mind. You don't think of yourself less. You just think less. You don't think less of yourself, that is. You think of yourself less. You're not all the time thinking about, well, how are people going to think of me? You're thinking about God, and you're just not thinking about yourself at all. So when God then enables you to love people more for the glory of God and for their own good, rather than needing people for your own benefit. David says it well in Psalm 34, verses 8 through 9. He says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Our one thing this morning is really just a summary of those last three words. First of all, acknowledge. Acknowledge your fear of disapproval. When it pops up in your life, whether frequently or infrequently, it pops up in most of our lives. Acknowledge that. Look at it for what it is. Secondly, accept. Accept Jesus' approval before God in your place. Jesus is approved for you. And so act differently. Fear God and love others. Don't fear others and not love God. His mercy is more. It's greater than our fears. It's greater than our idols. It's greater in all. Rejoice in his mercy for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. You showed it to the people of Israel by giving them a, a good king, David, who pointed them towards who we see, Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for your son who was rejected for us so that we could be accepted by you. So by faith, Lord, help us to trust you and help us to live differently because of it. Fearing you and, and loving others for your glory. We pray in your name. Amen.